The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. This is On The Ledge Podcast. I'm Jane Barone. We're talking about Hoyas. What's not to like? Well, a very fine day to you all. And in this week's show, I'm going to be visiting the National Collection of Hoyas in Newcastle, curated by the wonderful Felix Horn. And I'll answer a question about... A languishing lime. Love that. A languishing lime. <laughs> Alliteration. You just can't beat it. Thanks for joining me this week. It's episode 244. And I do hope this audio is finding you in a reasonable state. Now, if you've listened to On The Ledge for any length of time, you will probably know that I'm quite keen on Hoyas. So no surprises, there are a couple of Hoyer episodes coming up in the next few weeks. And the first of those is this episode. I travelled to Newcastle to meet Felix Horn, who holds the National Collection of the Hoyer genus here in the UK. What's a national plant collection, you may ask? Well, this is a UK charity that helps to conserve plants by gathering together plants of a particular genus and looking after them. And the people looking after them are a huge range of volunteers who study them, keep great records and generally keep the flame alive for their plant of choice. And in the case of Felix Horn, that happens to be Hoya. So whether you're a Hoya fan or a Hoya disbeliever, I have a feeling that after listening to Felix, you may want a few of these wonderful epiphytic plants. And if you hear a little bit of noise in the background during the interview, most likely it's one of Felix's two cats, one of whom got very interested in our chat and joined in delightfully. So a little bit of extra action there for you cat lovers. My name's Felix Horn. I'm the National Collection Holder for Hoyas. We're here in your house, Felix, and I'm feeling the Hoyer love here. I mean, how did this come about? I seem to remember seeing the call out from the um, the National Collections people saying, we need somebody for Hoyer. Presumably you just were alerted to that and thought, this is for me. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> <laughs> I, I very naively <laughs> thought... I could do that. <laughs> I mean, yeah, so I, my mum had grown a Hoya, which I'm sure lots of people can relate to, um, that we'd had growing in our house when I was little and it flowered all the time and it smelled amazing. And then it's just suddenly stopped flowering and got pushed further and further back in her collection and then kind of forgotten about. And then I think probably 
just before COVID hit, I had started collecting them myself and kind of like rediscovered them. So when I saw the call go out, she gets the RHS magazine. And when I saw that call go out, I was like, oh, I could do that. (laughs) And here we are. Um, I don't know how long ago that was, but you've got a collection of Hoyas that's presumably growing all the time. Yeah. Yeah. A lot. (laughs) (laughs) Um, One of the things I find fascinating about Hoya is just the diversity of this genus. There are just so many interesting variations on the theme. Of the ones that you've got in this particular room, are there any that are your absolute, like, favourites, you know, you're going to be taking from the house as you, you know, go to your desert island? Um, I've got a Hoya Sunrise off the top of my head. I can't remember what. It's parent plants are, but it is a cultivar crossbreed. Um, that one I think is really beautiful just with the, so like often when Hoyas have, um, you know, the visible veins, they're darker than the rest of the leaf in sunrise is the other way around. And it has these really beautiful flowers that smell amazing as well. Um, and probably Lacunosa is always a really safe bet. That flowers really profusely and has gorgeous flowers. The scented flowers as well. Um, but then I think my probably most favourite one in here is also the most pathetic one. That <laughs> <laughs> um, is the one that has most actively been trying to die on me for three years, and that is my Hoya Archbaldiana. Okay. Um, I got that as a two-leaf cutting that one of the leaves then died, and then I spent two years trying to stop the rest of it from dying. And then this year it finally rewarded me by growing two new leaves and a whole bit of stem. And it's not like, <laughs> so it has a grand total of three leaves. That's <laughs> <When> the thing. I... <laughs> With Hoyas, it's kind of like, it's one of these things where you, when you have, hear those stories, people who don't grow Hoyas are like, I mean, why are you getting so excited? But when you've grown Hoyas and you know how that pain. Yeah. I've, that, that was the one that I always wanted the most and I have no idea why it always really called to me like it's fine it looks fine <laughs> but I don't know why yeah uh, just the fact that it, it just wanted to die so bad um and I stopped it and it seems to be quite happy now I'm never going to get flowers from it I'll be lucky if I get like five leaves off it and I've got other flowers like other Hoyas in here that are just like huge and super prolific and I feel kind of bad for them. <laughs> little pathetic three-leaf hoyas out competing all of them. One of the things you were telling me before I started recording was about growing for the National Collection and how you try to, as far as you can, emulate what listeners' rooms might be like rather than growing them into a rarefied environment um, where you're sort of tweaking humidity and stuff these are in a regular room and and as are the vast majority of your collection why is that that you want to kind of promote that kind of growing um well i mean i don't know if it's standard for national collection holders but i feel like part of what your role is is growing plants for the nation like that the nation could grow and so one of the things i do is i don't import plants from outside the uk because that seems to be outside of my remit but also What's the point of having all of these plants if I'm the only person that can grow them? You know, and so I've got a few more specialist areas um, that are like quote unquote ideal settings for a plant to grow. But I'll also have copies of that plant growing in, say, like your bathroom or somewhere else to see if they can 
grow in normal household conditions because, you know, it's expensive to do the specialist stuff. Um, and it's something that not a lot of people are going to have access to. And I think that that shouldn't be a barrier for people to enjoy these really amazing plants. They're like, yeah, they should be for everybody. Yeah, but I think that's a really good point. Um, I mean, the, I mean, you have got an IKEA cabinet here or some kind of cabinet. Is IKEA yeah, one. Uh, <laughs> everyone's got an IKEA one. Um, but you know, as you say, I mean, it does kind of worry me when, especially when you see people getting, I think with Hoyas, I guess like cacti and like aroids, there's this kind of collector's mentality of like, okay, I've got to tick these off the list. And the only way I can get hold of this is by importing it from, yeah. you know, Indonesia or somewhere, which isn't without its problems, right? I mean, right, exactly. I'm concerned about how these are gro- these are growing in the wild and, and the, the, the pressure to import or to take them out of the wild. Yet, as your collection shows, there are a lot of um, species and cultivars that you can get hold of in the UK. Where do you source most of your plants from? Uh, so I'm quite lucky that my local garden centre has really um, got a much bigger collection of Hoyas than most other places. Or I'll source some, I don't know if I'm supposed to say You can say, places. you can absolutely say specific right. places, um, it's cool. Yeah, so my local garden centre is called Cowles. Um, oh, the famous cows! Yeah. Wow, everybody says that when yeah. I mention it. They're just like family run. They're really nice. Mm. Um, so I was really lucky. That's how I managed to get a good enough collection to start off on my application mm. at Plant Heritage. Um, yeah, so I've been lucky with them. There are some online places that I get them from, but I wouldn't recommend them because they're all the ones that send me half dead plants. Um, it's like a really, really big problem with mm. Hoyas in the UK that the garden centres and often the nurseries that supply plants to the UK don't know how to look after the plants. Mm-hmm. So you're often getting half dead ones. But I, I agree, like, I think it's super important to get ones that are responsibly sourced and that is really, really hard. Mm. I think sometimes, the from what I've heard of the Thai nurseries, they do a slightly better job because they breed a lot of their own plants. They're ones that are already named and described and like in like Plants of the World Online, for example, they can be really sketchy. So like I've got a Hoya Wyatt AI and um, they're critically endangered in their native habitat, but they're super common. Yeah, a they're so now. common, aren't so they? Yeah. They must be, I can't imagine there's not a causal link in that. Obviously, like with Hoyas, once you've got them, you can take cuttings from them so easily that, you know, as, as far as poaching goes, if you know what you're doing, you'd probably only have to do it once or twice, but mm. that's still once or twice too many. Yeah, <laughs> so, exactly. And um, I guess if there's lots of individuals going out and doing it and it's being, you know, there's yeah, the yeah. markets there for people who uh, are doing it. It's um, it's scary, but I mean, it's great to have these, these plants proliferating in your home. And as you say, hopefully people will be inspired to give some of these plants a try if you were telling somebody who's starting out where to start with hoyas what would you recommend is, is it the old the old classic carnosa that we go yeah, for absolutely i think hoyas is one of those uh genera that is you can't go wrong with it and all the like super boring old ones are just as nice as all the fancy ones it's so true yeah you so don't true. have to do anything fancy with like you know, a carnosa and a pubercarlex are bomb-proof, and they are so beautiful. They'll grow all over the place. They'll flower like so prof- prolifically, and the the flowers smell amazing. Um, and you can get quite a lot of variety within those just two species, anyway. 
Um, I think the thing that's difficult with Hoyas is that they're all named wrong. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god! So you can think that you're going to go buy, oh, I'll just go get, so like I've got a Memoria here, I'll just go get one of those. Well, that's also called a Gracilis. And depending on what name they've got in the garden centre, you could pay a tenner for that or you could pay 40 quid. Yeah. So it's, and I've never got to the, with that one. I've never really got to the bottom of what it should uh, have taxonomists reach a decision on this. That one's quite complicated because Gracilis was described first, oh, okay. but everybody seems to default to Memoria and correct Gracilis. And I don't know why it's that way round. No. Whether I the orig- I really want to dig into that. I want to see what the original publication for Gracilis was, mm. and if that was a you know something that. They decided that the memorial was more robust or something. I don't know. Um, there's, uh, I mean, again, I'm looking here and I can see some Hoyas here where I know there's confusion. Uh, is it Latifolia, out of irrigated, or is it, what's the other name for macrophilla. that? Microfilla. Microfilla. Yeah, I got them as macrophilla. I still haven't got is it, I think it, that. yeah, I think microfilla might be the sort of the one that's in vogue at the minute, but I think that's the problem is, like, if there are loads of, like, Hoyer scientists and taxonomists, there must be some, but there aren't, they're not kind of, it's not sort of, there's not whole books no. that you can just go and look at for this information, are yeah. there? There's a couple of scientists in Asia at the minute who are doing a really good job mm-hmm. with, um, like reclassifying Hoyas. And so the thing that they've realized now is using the flowers to classify them is much better than using the leaves because there's a lot of variation yeah. in yeah. leaves within just one species. Um, but they've literally only just started doing that work. So at the minute, a lot of names are getting changed, but, you know, people already know them. They're getting, you know, like they've been changed over the years. Nurseries are making new ones up to sell like very yep. standard toys <laughs> at very high prices. Yes. Um, I mean, the Latifolia macrophylla one, I think from what I can tell, what happened is that two people described one of them at mm-hmm. around the same time, but with the same name, but different descriptions. Right. So one of them matches like Latifolia, for example, and the other one mm-hmm. doesn't. But I, I mean, that's just from my... It's so confusing. I really don't know. That is, that is though, what I would say in my top three Hoyas. I mean, then again, my top three Hoyas is always changing, but I do <laughs> really love that out of variegated or whatever it's, whatever the cultivar name is. It's a really... I think the leaves are absolutely beautiful on it. It's I, And I found it... Once it's got going, that one has been okay for me, but I don't know how you find that one. No. And they've got it in the cabinet. I wouldn't have that one if I didn't have to. Oh, that's interesting. I've got a, I've got a bit of a pet peeve against all of the, like, cream variegated. Oh, right, yeah. Because I think they're... I, I think partly if I could get a, an unvariegated one in this country, I'd probably just have that one. I don't... That's the interesting thing, as you say. Like, I've never seen a, a plain green one. Yeah. Only I ever seen... them in the States, but right. we can't get them here. Yeah. Um, I know I'm... I know I'm a bit biased against them well but. that's the thing is that you're absolutely allowed to have your own preferences about these things but um i guess that's what the national collection does is sort of make you force you <laughs> to kind of say well i've got to have this because it's part of the national collection yeah. what do, what do you have to do in terms of uh what are the processes that are involved presumably just get as many horrors as you can and keep records about them is is that, is yeah. that a very crude summary yeah i think i <sighs> Yeah, I, the hard thing with Hoyas is you have to become an expert on nomenclature really quickly and um, just to make sure that you've got what they've said that you've got, um, which helps with the National Collection because that's kind of what you have to do for that anyway. Um, 
basically the job of a national collection holder is to try and get a hold of all the cultivars of a specific um, genus um, and just keep them alive (laughs) (laughs) Um, for like posterity or for scientific interest. Um, Probably not so much for Hoyas, but for things like um, vegetables or like uh, other like medicinal plants that can be really useful, say if a cultivar goes out of fashion for somebody to still have it if they mm-hmm. later find out that it has like blight tolerance or you know um, can survive in different climates and stuff like that because um, plant growing is like any other fashion things go in and out of style and Hoyas are just mm-hmm. coming back into style after 30 years just being like your grandma's plant so <laughs> um, so you usually have to get one of every one that you can find and then have another two copies of it in case anything happens so, you know, house fills up quite quickly. <laughs> Indeed, yeah. <laughs> Which yeah, I'm not complaining about. No, no. <laughs> um, and these plants have a particular, I guess, architecture, can I say? I, I guess, I don't know if all Hoyas are epiphytes, but I'm presuming that almost all of them are. How does that affect in terms of, obviously, a lot of these are hangings, so you've got them kind of emulating that up in the trees kind of environment, but how does that impact on kind of substrates that you use and what do you find works? <laughs> Again, I've opened up a can of yeah, worms no, here. <laughs> the, I find it hard to make any general statement mm. about Hoyas because it's such a huge genius. Yeah, yeah. Um, and there are so many different plants from so basically hoyas stretch all the way from the himalayas down to the very tip of australia and so they're like a really really massive range um and there's probably like six or seven major different ways that you can care for different hoyas um so substrate's another tough one (laughs) maybe we start let's just say say you've got a bog standard carnosa or um what was the other one you mentioned as being pubicalics presumably they're so tough that you could just oh, you li- them stick in them in houseplant compost just regular from a bag yeah, and yeah. they'll be fine you could put cuttings in a houseplant compost and they'd grow like they're you could put them in anything i'm sure yeah i think i've i think i have seen some big old you know nana's hoya kind of thing where it's like in a garden soil in a pot you yeah. know it's that yeah. kind of like we didn't have, we're not gonna buy compost for this no. yeah i think those two you can put in them pretty much anything you want um, once you get past them, I generally use a, like, so I use, um, bark compost. Mm-hmm. Um, so then you can get that usually kind of cheaper than normal compost mm-hmm. with a mix of, uh, orchid bark and perlite. Mm-hmm. Although I am starting to experiment with using cork instead of orchid bark. Mm-hmm. Um, and that I find generally uses for like wicks for most of them. Mm-hmm. Um, often when you get them from nurseries they'll be in all sorts of different substrates yeah yeah um, so, so i've got one in here that you can see is really miserable um which came in like a yes i've like had them in that it's stuck in something that. i know what yeah. you I know exactly what you're talking about it's like it's in a stump of wood or something yeah, yeah. But i don't know if it is like whether it's coconut or whether it's yeah that's what like, it's actually I had something exactly the same and it did really badly and I eventually just took cuttings of it and abandoned the whatever it was. It's yeah. really strange, isn't it? I've, I've I've really struggled with all of the ones that I've got that are in that did well in their first year and then as soon as they got out of that and into mm. any kind of stage of maturity, they really struggled. From what you're saying, I think that flags up for me that it is important when you get a warrior to like have a 
do a bit of research and find out whether it's one of those kind of Himalaya high altitude kind of Hoyas or whether it's something growing in a much um, lower altitude and might ne- might be need less water because yeah. that seems to be a quite a key point. And I'm trying to think of some of the ones that I can think of that are kind of more high altitude. I'm thinking of things like Hoya Polyneuro, which I know I've seen somewhere. Is that quite a Yeah, yeah. so cool... I've got Polyneuro, Rattusa and Linearis on the kitchen because mm-hmm. it's unheated in there. Right. And they're all the like Himalayan ones. So mm-hmm. they're like mm-hmm. a big temperature variation between night and day. And that's right. the thing that really gets them to flower and be super happy i really like those three particularly polyneura and linearis i just think they're so such good plants um i mean you look at polyneura and linearis you know you've got those fish i think they call it the fishtail hoy don't they those amazing leaves of the polyneura compared to i always think the linearis leaves look a bit like like green beans or something it's so (laughs) different like just so so different such different plants we haven't really talked about the flowers yet though which are, for some people, like the stars of the show. Yeah, I, you know what? I don't understand people who buy plants just for the, you know, one month a year that they flower. Mm. I think it's a good bonus. Like, obviously, mm. I love all the flowers on my plants, but the foliage, like, if you're not <laughs> going to enjoy it the rest of the year, mm-hmm. then... But. I guess maybe it's like though goes back to when people like had massive collections and they could just like bring the flowering things up to be enjoyed yeah. and then I I don't know but who who lives like that anymore right it's <laughs> I, wish I, could. <laughs> I know it'd be so cool wouldn't it it would be so cool but um, yeah I mean the flowers are great and what I love about them I think the one of the first house plants I had as an adult was Hoya carnosa and I remember when it flowered just like looking at these weird pink fuzzy flowers and going that is so cool that's amazing I do think the flowers are kind of otherworldly of, of Hoyas um, they just look like little stars don't they yeah they're so cool stars. they're so cute and now the other thing I must mention when we come talking about flowers is I'm one of those weird people who licks Hoya flowers. I enjoy the I nectar. Do, that too. do you do that too? Yeah. Okay, good. I feel relieved because sometimes people look at you like, okay, that's really yeah. weird. But I mean, it's just it's just sugar, basically, isn't it? More from Felix shortly, but now it's time to hear from our sponsors. The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. This week's show is supported by Cozy Earth, the premium bedding company that helps you get the deep restorative sleep you need. Bedtime is literally my favourite time of day, so it's really important that my bed is the most comfortable place it can be. I got to try out a set of Cozy Earth sheets and they really are so comfortable. Cozy Earth's high quality bedding is responsibly sourced and made from soft and sustainable viscose that comes from bamboo fabrics. Bundle up in Cozy Earth pyjamas made from ultra-soft viscose from bamboo this holiday season. Now available in holiday hues. Want to give the gift of a good night's rest with Cozy Earth? On the Ledge listeners can take up Cozy Earth's exclusive offer today 
Get 40% off site-wide at CozyEarth.com using code LEDGE. That's CozyEarth, C-O-Z-Y Earth.com and use code LEDGE, L-E-D-G-E for 40% off now. And now back to my chat with Felix and I wanted to find out how many Hoyas there actually are, both in cultivation and in the wild. When I started collecting, there were like 10 that you Mm -hmm. could get. And then in the two years since I've had my national collection, now there's about 40, 30, 40. And that's still less than a quarter of what ones you can get in cultivation in the world and mm-hmm. probably about one percent of all the hoyas that are out there so what really yeah there's somewhere people speculate somewhere between two and four thousand different kinds of hoyas wow and that's, that's just in the amazing. wild that's not even cultivars that's amazing so yeah that is really that's amazing. why i always say i'm not an expert <laughs> <laughs> but i think the thing is that's i think in a way it, one of these things is is the that's great about national collections is you know, you're not portraying yourself as an expert. You've got a lot of Hoyas here and you're obviously very good at looking after them. Like all of us, things go wrong and it doesn't always work. But, you know, that's inspirational. If you were kind of like everything, everything worked and everything was like going great guns, then we wouldn't be able to relate. (laughs) Only liars live in a perfect place. No, indeed, indeed. Um, But yeah, I mean, I think they are a, a fantastic genus. I just hope that we can enjoy them without wrecking the places that they come from that's yeah, my worry that's a, that's my worry too i think the thing is with the house plant boom at the minute hoyas are a really really easy one for people to like capitalize on because mm-hmm. it's so hard to name them and a lot of them look really similar to each other so you could sell like i did that when i first started collecting i bought what i thought was a really rare hoya and it mm-hmm. just turned out to be a public alex and yeah. i spent probably 50 times what I should have spent on it. It's crazy, isn't it? And people do a lot of things like, so the big one at the minute is a Hoya Wilbur Graves that people keep trying to sell for loads of money. yes. And it's just because, so a Hoya Wilbur Graves is descended from one specific plant. So if you can't prove that it's descended from that one specific plant, then it's not a Wilbur Graves. But that that specific plant was a type of Carnosa. Yeah, it's, <laughs> so, it's a Carnosa cultivar, it's isn't it? To think. I mean, yeah, that's the interesting thing, isn't it? Like one plant had a particular little sport and produced more. I mean, this whole splash thing, people people are mad for this kind of it's, silver yeah. variegation. It's because they don't understand that all hoyas do that. So yeah. I've got my polynuria <laughs> through there. is a bog standard polynuria, mm-hmm. but two of the branches on it have decided to put on some splash variegation. Yeah. If I was so inclined, I could cut those off, root them and sell them for like a hundred quid each. Yeah. And yeah. I spent, you know, less than half that for that entire plant. So... <laughs> It's just, it's so easy to fake things. It's so easy to scam people. And um, I, I would generally recommend not buying cuttings until you're really, really confident that you can keep them alive, even if they're in the worst condition you can imagine mm-hmm. when you get them. Because um, a lot of, hello, goody, um, a lot of people don't let them root for long enough before mm-hmm. they sell them on. And mm-hmm. I usually, when I take cuttings, I'll leave them for like six months to a year mm-hmm. in whatever you know, like Laker or whatever. I use Laker, but I know that people use, is it Pond? Yeah, well? yeah, yeah. I mean, I like Laker. One of the reasons why I like Laker for all kinds of things is just because it's really easy to clean it. And whereas with Pond, it's like, it's so fine that yeah, it's, it's a pain. Done, it? Whereas that, it's it's much, much easier. Like, even if it's had like, 
you know, where it's gone disastrously wrong and it's all covered in algae, you can just clean it up fairly easily and rinse it off and it's good to go. And you can reuse it over and over again, which I think is good from a sustainability point of view. Um, And Hoyas seem to really enjoy it. The thing is with Hoyas, people spend so much money on them and I kind of have to (laughs) because I've got to get the plant for the collection. But in general, I would recommend not spending any more than 30 quid on a fully grown plant is and like just unless you're really really into them don't go for the rare cuttings they're just really not worth it when the rest of the genus is so nice yeah um, i wholeheartedly agree i mean it's fun to like when I, mean, I bought you a cutting today you've got a cutting for me that I, I love that kind of thing where you're just you know and it's kind of low, like if you tell me in two months time that cutting didn't do anything jane it's dead i'm not going to be like i'm just going to be like oh well you know (laughs) if you've not paid any money that's part of the fun for me but um yeah it's kind of high stakes when people are paying a lot of money for like a two-leaf cutting and i think the thing with any interest that a person has that you know you do it because you love it but also it's a really good way of getting to know people like you know community is a thing that we're Mm -hmm. desperately trying to rehabilitate at the minute and Actually, something like this can really give you an opportunity to go and meet other people. And that's the best. Like you're saying, you know, take each other cuttings, swap plants. Like, that is just a really wonderful thing to be able to do with something that you're enjoying. So, Absolutely. Um, I don't see the point <laughs> when they're so easy to propagate. If yeah. they're so easy to propagate, why are all these people who are selling it online doing such a rubbish job of it? Yeah. <laughs> One of the other things I wanted to ask you about, though, was sort of hanging versus climbing. I mean, a lot of the ones here you've got hanging, do you find any difference in growth when you kind of train them up something, or do you find that doesn't make any difference? It's Yeah, it's been a real plant-by-plant situation. Mm. And again, like, so, you know, with all of the plants, I don't know if I said this before after we started recording, but, like, I really think that with any plant, you can grow it the best way if you understand where it comes from in the wild mm. and what its root system looks like. And I'm I... loving this retention on roots because <laughs> this is so underrated, isn't it? And so what are you, when you like have done your Hoya dissections, what are you looking at when you're looking at the roots? What, what's, what are you looking for and what is that telling you? Well, so uh, the most, come on, kiddo. Um, <laughs> the, the most common thing that, uh, problem that Hoyas has is overwatering mm-hmm. and those roots are really easy to tell the problem because they become very stringy and the outer layer of the root comes off really easily and so then you can tell maybe you're being overwatered or maybe you're in the wrong substrate mm-hmm. and wrong substrate is such a common problem with Hoyas um, so I think back to what you're asking about whether they're trailing or climbing <laughs> that depends so much more on the root of that individual plant how that individual plant is growing than anything else. So I really do have to take it on a case-by-case basis. Um, but like just so in here, I've got um, my Lachinosa there, which is super happy. I have two Lachinosa cuttings in my cabinet, which I have had for two years longer than I had that entire plant. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if you can see the one down there. Yeah, It is like, I think I've managed to get seven leaves on it now. Um, but because when I bought those cuttings, the root system was in a really bad shape and it takes years to recover from that so when you buy your hoya from the garden center or the nursery or wherever and um, there's several different soils that it could be in and um, like we've seen with that one it could be inside a little bark like an actual tree bark a bark too yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's, it's very strange <laughs> um, or it could be in 
Uh, how did you pronounce it before? Queer. 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 I, I don't know. That's, that's just how I say it. Queer. Yeah. I don't know. Queer. I, queer. 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 sounds very weird. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Very <laughs> so I'll just say queer. So you can buy it in queer. And I've only recently started seeing queers being put in queer. And so far they look all right. But I don't know if I'll have a different opinion in a year's time. When you say queer, are you talking about the big chunks as opposed to like you know, the like very fine? Because I've had it before stuff. where it's in like chunky coconut I've seen pieces. that before too, yeah. My... The the carry eye that I killed was in that. My sigillatus <laughs> is in that, mm. and it has been all right. Yeah, um, I mean, I took it out. My, maybe I've made a mistake by thinking I can't cope with this substrate because I don't understand it. So I repotted it, and it no, died. I, I think that. <laughs> so I repot probably about sixty percent of all mm. players that I buy because mm-hmm. they're either in the wrong substrate or they're in the wrong size pot. So right. a lot of things that garden centres and nurseries. To be honest, I think it's probably nurseries do um, to be able to charge more money for a plant is put it in a bigger pot than it needs. Mm-hmm. So you'll grow it in it. So like I'll show you here, my densifolia is in this tiny, tiny little pot here. Oh, and yeah. And look how much plant has grown out of that. Mm. And it can stay in there for another year or probably. Densifolia, I've never seen, I wouldn't know that even as being a Hoya. I've not come across that one before. Yeah, I, I was okay. lucky getting that one. But again, I'm totally prepared to look it up in a year's time and realise it's a completely different plan. Something else. <laughs> yeah, so but so that's in a really small pot and Hoyas need to be like pot bound. They really enjoy it. Mm. Um, it. So because they're epiphytes, what they do, you find your place to root in the tree. And if you can keep anchoring yourself in there, you're just going to keep doing it. Mm. You put out the leaves with your aerial roots when you haven't got as strong a hold on it. Right. So if you think about it, like if something's quite root bound, they'll put out those anchoring roots and that means more branches. It mm-hmm. means more flowers growing off that because they've got more space for the peduncles to grow. Mm-hmm. Um, so like if you want your Hoya to grow, let it be in a little pot. So often when you get it back from a garden center, take it out of the pot, look at where the roots actually go and then repot it in a pot that's the size for those roots because yeah, you'll often yeah. find like, centimeters and centimeters of just empty soil around it mm. and yeah i mean i understand why they do it because a bigger pot looks like a bigger plant mm-hmm. but um but yeah. then again you've got to make sure that you're getting the right humidity for your hoya if you're like letting it get nutrients out of aerial mm. roots so which means misting mm-hmm. the hoyas mostly you want to water them just when they need it but mist them quite liberally Again, as epiphytes, I guess they're experiencing moist air. I don't know. I guess if they're in the Himalaya, the higher higher altitudes, they're also yeah. increasing. You know, it's kind of uh, fog is probably not the right word, but you know what I mean. It's a moist yeah. air environment. Most of them grow in rainforest conditions, mm-hmm. whether that's tropical rainforest or like mountain rainforests. Mm-hmm. The ones that do the best in this country are the ones that come from like Australia. Yeah. So, um, the Carnosa comes from Australia. Australis does, but we've got our own problems with Australis. Yeah, we, we, we <laughs> yeah, the weirdness of Australis. Yeah, but yeah. that's definitely. I guess my main message is: uh, sorry, hoyas are fantastic, but nobody knows how to grow them, so they're probably going to be crap. <laughs> <laughs> so just go with go go with the really boring ones because at least everybody's selling them to you. You'll know how to grow them. <laughs> Thanks so much to Felix for that Hoya realness ending the interview. And if you're a Patreon subscriber, you can hear an extra chunk of interview that'll be coming out in the next few days. 
And as ever, do check the show notes for some photographs of the flowers on some of Felix's collection and also a fantastic PDF download of Felix's Care Guide for Hoyas, which is really required reading. Plus details of how to find out more about the Hoyer National Collection and indeed national collections more widely. Now it's time for question of the week. And I'm, you remember I mentioned at the top of the show, we were dealing with a languishing lime. I just can't stop saying it. <laughs> I want a languishing lime. I want a lime, not a languishing one. Quite frankly, the talk of lime is putting me in need of a gin and tonic. But let's plough on. Ruth got in touch about a lime plant that was given to her by her son last Christmas. But unfortunately, it is languishing. What does that actually mean in a horticultural context, Jane? You may be asking. Well, in Ruth's case, it means that it's dropping leaves at an alarming rate. So Ruth was worried that it had been overwatered after being brought indoors for the winter. Ruth made the sensible choice of hoiking it out of its pot, cleaning it up and putting it back with new compost. Good choice, Ruth. I'm hoping you used citrus compost, but uh, if not... Don't worry too much. But ideally, there is a good argument to use specialist citrus compost for things like lemons and limes. Peat free, natch, if you can. They do have quite specific nutrient needs and also they need well-drained soil. So it's a good choice if you have a citrus plant that needs repotting. Anyway, back to Ruth's problem. The leaves are still dropping despite the changes that Ruth has made. And Ruth wants to know what's going on. Well, uh, I think that citrus are a bit of a problem in a house where all the rooms are centrally heated. Now, maybe not so much this winter in our fuel crisis where everyone's turning off the heating. But in a normal winter where it might be anything around 18, 19, 20 degrees centigrade, that's around sort of 63, 64, 65 Fahrenheit, Citrus will often be a little bit unhappy, particularly if the air is a bit on the dry side, because they really desire a cooler temperature over the winter. Limes can get down to about 10 degrees centigrade at night. That's 50 Fahrenheit. And so they do best in a really well lit, bright room, but one that is that bit cooler. So either the thermostat's set maybe around nearer sort of 12 to 14 degrees centigrade around sort of 56 57 Fahrenheit that way they just that tickles their sort of sweet spot of the temperature they like and tends to mean that the plants don't go into this state of I'm stressed I'm unhappy I'm going to drop all my leaves even if you're boosting humidity as Ruth is doing Ruth's saying the temperature generally is 16 to 19 centigrade when the heating's on I think that's probably a little bit too high, Ruth, particularly if combined with not enough light, because then you have the problem that the plant isn't actually ticking over very fast in terms of photosynthesis. It's not drawing up much water. Therefore, that water sitting around and causing problems. The plant gets stressed and that means it's a magnet also for pests. Things like a red spider mite love, absolutely love citrus. Uh, same with things like mealybugs. So I would also give your plants a really good check over for any pests. And if you can, move it to a cooler, lighter room, Ruth. I know maybe that's an impossibility. I don't know. I, I don't want to sort of prematurely condemn your lime to death, but I am worried that 
if you don't have a cooler room, it might not make it through the winter. I do respect you, though, Ruth, because you did say that the two marble sized limes that dropped have ended up in a and tea, which is really the only way to enjoy lime or maybe on some jerk chicken. Now, you did suggest that if you can't halt its decline, that you should uninvite your son for Christmas so he doesn't see it. Oh, it's a tricky one. I don't know what to suggest. I don't wish to be at the centre of a domestic drama this Christmas. I no doubt have enough of that from my own family. But I would suggest that if you can find somewhere that might work with those lighter conditions and lower temperatures, maybe you can pull it back in time for the festive season, Ruth. Just, as I say, check those leaves really carefully for pests. Keep an eye on those roots. And hopefully you'll find that uh, it's all looking more positive for Christmas time and you'll get some new leaves and shoots. If you've got a question for On The Ledge, drop me a line on theledgepodcast at gmail.com. that is all for this week's show i will be back next friday make sure your npk balance is correct which of course stands for nature plants and kindness bye you heard in this episode was Roll Jordan Roll by The Joy Drops, The Road We Used to Travel When We Were Young by Komiku, and Whistle by Benjamin Banger. The ad music was Holiday Gift by Kai Engel. All tracks are licensed under Creative Commons. Visit the show notes for details. <laughs>